Our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, Christ, uh, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. go to the Lord in prayer before we look further at the passage that we just heard read. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. We also recognize that it often challenges us and confronts us. And I pray that all that would be in a spirit of gentleness this morning. I pray that your word would be uh, the truth that we need, Lord, that uh, the burdens that we're carrying, the anxieties that we have, the doubts would help to answer some of those things and that you would continue to work in us, Lord. We know you are working even in the moments where we don't sense it or we don't feel it or we feel it's the opposite. You must not be working. You are present and faithful, God. So be present and faithful as we continue this morning. Amen. Well, for the past several years, I think most of us have been feeling the, uh, the squeeze of uh, what is kind of happening across Christian culture, and that feels like a lot of people we know, a number of people we've looked up to, are backpedaling on their own faith. They are, they are falling away from a faith they once uh, claimed. I read an article this week that said something like 40 million people have left the church in the last 25 years. That's like 12% of the population. And this is one of the biggest shifts in church history. We've seen it from afar, high-profile Christians and pastors, teachers, celebrities, uh, backpedaling on their faith 
uh, distancing themselves from some key ideas or maybe rejecting it wholesale and what's often called a, a sort of deconstruction, a journey away from their faith. But as much as we've seen it from afar, we've also seen it close to home as our own friends, family, even siblings are also uh, deconstructing, withdrawing away from church and their community and identifying less and less with their faith. And so a lot of the tone I sense around American Christianity recently has had to do with uh, who's teetering, who's sort of on the edge. And, and from this and all around us as we grieve it, we mourn it, we do see a, a danger. And that is the danger of, of going the wrong way. The danger of somehow falling away falling away from our faith, of waking up shaken by doubt and unable to maintain our faith anymore. And God, help us with that. But there is another danger that is often not as pronounced and is just as common. It is not the danger of going the wrong way, but it is the danger of never going the right way. It is not a danger of apostasy, but it is a danger of atrophy, a faith that has atrophied, been underused, neglected, and declining into a point of stagnation. It's not really a danger of walking away from God, but more of one of waking up to realize we never really walked towards Him. One commentator says it like this, it's, it's less like falling off a cliff and more like gradually going down a slope to turn around and realize I can't even see where I started anymore, and I'm far down this hill. Our passage from Philippians this morning speaks very clearly to this second danger, this danger of failing to move forward in faith. And as we drop into this passage today, it's kind of like coming out of a dream to hear an alarm clock ringing, for the scriptures are urging us forward in our faith. And that's the main idea that I want to preach from this passage this morning. I think it's the idea that Paul gives us here. It's simply this. It's faith moves forward. What it looks like to be a person of faith, to be a faithful person, that looks like moving forward, straining forward, as Paul will say. And that is a, a broad statement so I will clarify with, with a couple aspects here, three, three aspects or three applications for what this might look like. Here's the first one. We must move forward in freedom. Moving forward in freedom. This is what faithfulness looks like. Now, we're, we're picking up the second half of Philippians 3. Last week, we heard from Pastor Alex Diaz on the first half, and that's why this beginning part this morning was so abrupt. Not that I have already obtained this. Okay, what, what, is, what is happening? What are we talking about here? You only have to go back one verse in the same uh, passage, back to verse 11, to see what he means. And Paul says, this is on page 922 in the Pew Bible, if you want to look, or you can just take my word for it. Paul says, I want to live like Christ. I want to suffer like Christ. I want to die like Christ. And here's what that verse 11 says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now enter verse 12. 
Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's talking about resurrection from the dead. And Paul outlines in this, in this desire of his to obtain a resurrection from the dead, he outlines one thing that he does as he presses on in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So Paul's one thing is a combination kind of of two actions, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And there is a word that we can use to summarize Paul's action. It's freedom. He had freedom to move forward, freedom to forget the past, both the bad and good. I want to look at those two things that Paul, as he's able to leave things behind, is able to do. First, Paul is free to forget the past, particularly what was bad in the past. Now, you don't have to read very much of the New Testament to come across sad, bad accounts of Paul's past life as a persecutor of the church, and he references it as a means of displaying God's grace. And so he has said even in this chapter, I was a persecutor of the church, and yet he leaves the things that are behind behind. Paul knows he has the freedom to forget the bad in his past. And a a clear caveat here is that we do not conveniently forget sins uh, that have not been confessed or forgiven. If we have hurt someone or someone else has hurt us, we don't just say, oh, well, let the past be the past and move forward. No. The scriptures, as we've even done in our worship this morning, prompt, uh, uh, they prompt a holistic confession and a restoration. But, but many, many of us, d- despite a sin that has been confessed and forgiven, are still in the habit of, of conjuring it up in our minds, of, of dwelling on a sin as if it was still very much in hand. And this leads to a very enslaving sort of shame, a shame that can keep a man or a woman believing that they cannot walk forward, they cannot strain forward in freedom from their past. They don't think that they, we, we don't think inwardly that we can really ever set this down. Paul is able to say, I forget what lies behind as I strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm reminded of Psalm 103 verse 12 that says, as far from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is not a fantasy that we have been given by the scriptures. This is very much God's view. As we are in Christ, we could not be further removed from our own sin. And so, we ask as we read this passage and think about what it might mean to strain forward faithfully, is there a sin in our lives that we have a hard time letting go of? And we call to a deeper faith in the gospel to say, it doesn't mean I forget factually that that ever happened, but I forget it in a sense that I'm able to set it down and strain forward uncumbered because I've been freed, I've been forgiven in grace. There are many reasons why sins are hard to forget. We all know this. Maybe they have not been confessed, perhaps, but maybe often we are still trying to punish ourselves instead of coming to see our sin as God sees it, 
as removed from us as far as the east is from the west. We are free to move forward in this respect. But I would say here, Paul's freedom to forget his past has a lot to do with the bad things of his past that, that, that would weigh him down, but he has set them aside. He knows he's walking in forgiveness. But he also has a second freedom here as he seeks the Lord, and that is the freedom to forget the good. For not everything that Paul lists in his life is always this bad thing. He has tried to be faithful to the Lord in the way that he knew how. He has just said in this passage, as we heard last week from uh, Pastor Alex, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. He's saying, from the eighth day when I was circumcised, I've been crushing it in every metric possible as a religious person. I am so faithful. And then just a few verses later, we find the passage that Christine just read for us that we're looking at today. But I forget what lies behind. He has received in exchange salvation from Christ, and now he no longer needs to serve the things that he thought were bringing him closer to the God, or maybe they worked for a season in some partial way. He can set that aside and move forward. There's a uh, famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, on this point says that many, many Christians are in trouble because we try to live on our past experiences. I related to this a great deal. We remember our experiences, which was something uh, to draw on then, but now we're trying to draw on it again, as if it's some capital we can uh, take into today. But are we able with Paul, knowing the grace of God, to leave behind what is behind us? And I don't mean forgetting our theology or our biblical knowledge or our own testimony of God's grace. I just mean leaving behind the experience and the practices where they are in the past as we strain forward to seek God. This can happen in our lives where perhaps we have a a morning routine seeking the Lord in prayer and scripture reading, but we start a new job that starts early in the day, or we get into a new rhythm, or we have children, and that, that space is disrupted, and we have to rethink how we might use that. Or perhaps we have a dear friend or someone who we speak to matters of faith. Maybe they keep us accountable or they're a mentor to us and they move out of state and we feel this drop off in our spiritual walk in their absence. Or perhaps you've been at a church where the pastor leaves and someone new comes in. You don't feel as though you're quite profiting as much from the preaching and the organization and the ministry of the church. Faithfulness does not look like sitting and saying, Because this thing has gone away and changed, I'll just have to fold into myself until it comes back. No, we have a freedom in the gospel to put that aside and ask the Lord to energize us, give us a creative, faithful path forward for the next season. God has called us to strain forward in faithfulness, as Paul has said, but he has not called us to carry unnecessary and heavy burdens. As we move forward, we must do so with a freedom of forgiven forgetfulness that the Lord is propelling us for. We don't have to cling to those things. That is one key aspect as we move forward in faith to do so in freedom without unnecessary burdens in the Lord. Another dimension of this is to move forward with focus. This is what Paul speaks to next directly as he's writing this letter. We may ask, okay, our faith is going to move us forward. 
I'm going to do so in freedom. But what exactly are we moving forward into? We have already been told by the Scriptures to press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But a crucial question is, what, what are we aiming at as we do this? What's our focus here? And Paul anticipates this when he says, do what I do. Do what the other saints do. In verse 17, again, a command, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So we are not left to make our own way, but we are given a directive, imitate the saints and those who walk according to the same example. We are checking our forward motion with other believers and testing it by that. If, if, if we are striving towards the resurrection together in Christ, then we are likely to be on the right track. And this is a point of much frustration for many of us as we uh, approach the scriptures and attempt to find out, how would I understand this life situation, this decision I need to make? What would the scriptures command me on this? The Bible offers principles which apply to every generation, but not always particulars that apply to our situation. And so our faith must lead us to take counsel with others based on Christ God's forever counsel. When I was going to propose to my wife, I asked several older, wiser men, should I do this? And three out of three encouraged me onward. So in faith, I went forward, walking according to the example I had in them. And you have your own examples too. It is so easy to get stuck in our own heads and kind of a feedback loop of, of how we're processing things. Faith moving forward calls us to uh, collaborate with saints around us, imitation, following the example, having people speak into our lives as we move forward. But Paul's desire for us, the Scripture's desire for us to keep our proper focus is not only a, a positive thing, but it also helps us escape what he warns against later in this passage. His encouragement for them to run forward with freedom and focus is tinged with grief. In verse 18, he writes, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here, Paul demonstrates a righteous attitude as he writes, even with tears, he is grieved by the loss of this that he sees in the world, these enemies of the cross. And the warning is straightforward. In, in our straining onward, we must not be led off course. We must not be set on earthly things, for the end of these things is destruction. And it is a, a great tragedy to near the end of one's life and see that one's straining forward has all along not been in the right direction. I thought of an example of this this week uh, when I reflected on a book called A Year, The Year of Magical Thinking, 
written by Joan Didion, uh, ironic title for a memoir she recounts the year after uh, losing her husband to a heart attack. Joan Didion in The Year of Magical Thinking recounts their time together leading up to his death and tries to make sense of it. And here's an excerpt from the book that she describes uh, as they are driving uh, back to their apartment. She writes, the night John died, or the night before, in the taxi between Beth Israel North and our apartment, he said several things that for the first time made me unable to readily dismiss his mood as depression, a normal phase of any writer's life. Everything he had done, he said, was worthless. He said the novel was worthless. He said that his current piece in the New York Review was worthless. He said he did not know what he was doing in New York. Why did I waste my time on that biography? John said these things in the taxi either three hours before he died or 27 hours before he died. I try to remember which and cannot. Joan recounts this passing of her husband and tries to make sense with the day before and the things he said. You can hear her wrestling with, did this happen three hours or 27 hours? Was there any space to reflect further, or was this a final reflection? And I'm not rendering an, a verdict here at all on those comments specifically. I'm only saying that it's possible to walk forward for a lifetime, and in the final hours, find oneself in a taxi cab, despairing, asking a question of, should all this be headed for destruction anyways? Paul has an understanding of this, and so he cannot write this without saying, I am grieving with tears as I write this for those who have strained forward, but the direction has been off. The focus has been off. It has been self-serving and has not been of the Lord. And so Paul writes, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We have a freedom as Christians as we move forward to faith in our faith, which we're called to do. And we have our proper focus as well. One final aspect of this is as we move forward, we must move forward to finish. In 1977, Nike released a printed advertisement of a man in a yellow t-shirt running down a solitary road. He's got pine trees on his left, power lines on his right. You can buy the poster for like $900 on eBay. This was like a famous uh, piece of advertising, I guess. And the headline below it uh, simply reads, there is no finish line. There is no finish line. And below that headline reads some text. This is the advertisement from Nike. Sooner or later, the serious runner goes through a special, very personal experience that is no, unknown to most people. Some call it euphoria. Others say it's a new kind of mystical experience, a flash of joy, a sense of floating. The experience is unique to each of us, but when it happens, you break through a barrier that separates you from casual runners forever. From that point on, there is no finish line. You run for your life. 
Nike is saying that it's the casual runners who only think about the finish line. Their heels strike heavy on the ground. Their legs feel like lumber. The run is painful. They hate it. But the finish line is what propels them stumbling forward. That's casual running, says Nike. Instead, says Nike, it is the serious runners who know the euphoria when they run for a moment, when they forget the finish line, and they run for their life. They're running from the, the, what they draw out of the race itself. Only then, in renouncing the finish line, can the serious runner be separated from the casual. Now, there are, I believe, a great many Christians who have told themselves some version of, there is no finish line. They may know that there is a heaven They know that there is a salvation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring sons of daughters into that heaven as He is. But practically speaking, their minds are not focused on this finish line of their faith far away from them. It is as if it is a fantasy in their minds. They may not deny it will happen, but there's almost a pity for those who dwell on that too much. And instead, there's a temptation to be absorbed with matters of now, matters of the present. Perhaps they say something like, well, God didn't save us just to take us up to heaven. We have much to do here on earth. Or perhaps I'm, I'm interested in how my faith is active today. I'm not interested in going beyond that. Now, I would agree with the statements of a desire to be an active Christian in today's world. But this is distinctly not the message of the Scriptures. For Paul, as he says, presses on always with his finish in mind. In verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Here is what happens when we tell ourselves there is no finish line, or we, we, we push it from the uh, outside of our minds. Sooner or later, it is likely that we will become a swamp, or a, so- a sort of swamp, or a marshy Christian, a great body of water that has potential but is stagnant, stuck, slothful, not moving because there is no directed flow. It is never, in this illustration, the size of the body of water that determines its power, but is the concentration that determines its power. And so, for the Christian, it is a singular focus on Christ that moves forward in power to both change and transform in their present and continue in the call that God has laid upon them. God has called them to reach for Him, equipped them to reach for Him, energized them to reach, and has secured in His will that they will reach Him. This is the finish line that we must strive for. I'm going to borrow some words again from a commentator and just ask as we close, are we anxious 
to have the experience that Paul speaks about here? Are we anxious to have Paul's experience? Eager to press on in our faith, to strain forward for the goal. It seems daunting. It seems overwhelming. How would we press on this way? How would we be faithful to move forward in this text that we have read this morning? It is exciting in some ways, inspiring in some other ways, but a daunting call. We must remember this as we read this, that that Paul is running like a man possessed. Back to verse 12, he says, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made Paul his own. And so Paul runs with an assurance that he cannot fail, for Christ will not fail. And so his faith compels him forward. Without this assurance of Christ in us, moving with us and for us, we will either wear ourselves out ragged, trying to possess something we have no assurance in, or we will talk ourselves out of moving forward at all. But friends, let us press on in the hope of Christ, the one who has possessed us, calls us onward in faithfulness. He has bought for us his finish line by his blood and assured us that we will be like him. So let us strain forward to what lies ahead, even as we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And close us uh, in prayer.